Chapter Eight, Part Five of *The Stones of Venice*, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *The Stones of Venice*, Volume Two, by John Ruskin. Chapter Eight: The Ducal Palace, Part Five. Eleventh Capital. Its decoration is composed of eight birds arranged as shown in Plate Five of the Seven Lamps which, however, was sketched from the Renaissance copy. These birds are all varied in form and action, but not so as to require special description. Twelfth Capital. This has been very interesting, but is grievously defaced, four of its figures being entirely broken away, and the character of two others quite undecipherable. It is fortunate that it has been copied in the thirty-third Capital of the Renaissance series, from which we are able to identify the lost figures. First Side. Misery a man with a wan face, seemingly pleading with a child who has its hands crossed on its breast. There is a buckle at his own breast in the shape of a cloven heart, inscribed Miseria. The intention of this figure is not altogether apparent, as it is by no means treated as a vice, the distress seeming real and like that of a parent in poverty mourning over his child. Yet it seems placed here as in direct opposition to the virtue of cheerfulness, which follows next in order rather however i believe with the intention of illustrating human life than the character of the vice which as we have seen dante placed in the circle of hell the word in that case would i think have been tristitia the unholy grief of spencer all in sable sorrowfully clad down hanging his dull head with heavy cheer a pair of pincers in his hand he had with which he pinched people to the heart he has farther amplified the idea under another figure in the fifth canto of the fourth book. His name was Care, a blacksmith by his trade, that neither day nor night from working spared, but to small purpose iron wedges made, those be unquiet thoughts that careful minds invade. Rude was his garment, and to rags all rent, ne better had he, ne for better cared, with blistered hands among the cinders brent it is to be noticed however that in the renaissance copy this figure is stated to be not miseria but misericordia the contraction is a very moderate one misericordia being in old manuscripts written always as mia mia if this reading be right the figure is placed here rather as the companion than the opposite of cheerfulness unless indeed it is intended to unite the idea of mercy and compassion with that of sacred sorrow second side cheerfulness a woman with long flowing hair crowned with roses playing on a tambourine and with open lips as singing inscribed alacritas we have already met with this virtue among those especially set by spencer to attend on womanhood it is inscribed in the renaissance copy alacritas chanit mecum note the gutturals of the rich and fully developed venetian dialect now affecting the latin which is free from them in the earlier capitals third side destroyed but from the copy we find it has been stultitia folly and it is there represented simply as a man riding a sculpture worth the consideration of the english residents who bring their horses to venice giotto gives stultitia a feather cap and club in early manuscripts he is always eating with one hand and striking with the other in later ones he has a cap and bells or a cap crested with a cock's head whence the word coxcomb 
fourth side destroyed all but a book which identifies it with the celestial chastity of the renaissance copy there represented as a woman pointing to a book uh, connecting the convent life with the pursuit of literature spencer's chastity brittlemart is the most exquisitely wrought of all his characters but as before noticed she is not the chastity of the convent but of wedded life fifth side only a scroll is left but from the copy we find it has been honesty or truth inscribed honestatem diligo it is very curious that among all the christian systems of the virtues which we have examined we should find this one in venice only the truth of spencer una is after chastity the most exquisite character in the fairy queen sixth side falsehood an old woman leaning on a crutch and inscribed in the copy falsitas in me semper est the fidessa of spencer the great enemy of una or truth is far more subtly conceived probably not without special reference to the papal deceits in her true form she is a loathsome hag but in her outward aspect a goodly lady clad in scarlet red purfled with gold and pearl her wanton palfrey all was overspread with tinsel trappings woven like a wave whose bridle rung with golden bells and bosses brave dante's fraud gerion is the finest personification of all but the description inferno canto seventeen is too long to be quoted seventh side injustice an armed figure holding a halbert so also in the copy the figure used by giotto with a particular intention of representing unjust government is represented at the gate of an embattled castle in a forest between rocks while various deeds of violence are committed at his feet spencer's aditya is a furious hag at last transformed into a tiger eighth side a man with a dagger looking sorrowfully at a child who turns its back to him i cannot understand this figure it is inscribed in the copy astinesia query abstinentia opitima thirteenth capital it has lions heads all round coarsely cut fourteenth capital it has various animals each sitting on its haunches three dogs one a greyhound one long-haired one short-haired with bells about its neck two monkeys one with fan-shaped hair projecting on each side of its face a noble boar with its tusks hoofs and bristles sharply cut and a lion and lioness fifteenth capital the pillar to which it belongs is thicker than the rest as well as the one over it in the upper arcade the sculpture of this capital is also much coarser and seems to me later than that of the rest and it has no inscription which is embarrassing as its subjects have had much meaning but i believe Silvatico is right in supposing it to have been intended for a general illustration of idleness first side a woman with a distaff her girdle richly decorated and fastened by a buckle second side a youth in a long mantle with a rose in his hand third side a woman in a turban stroking a puppy which she holds by the haunches fourth side a man with a parrot fifth side a woman in very rich costume with braided hair and dress thrown into minute folds holding a rosary query in her left hand her right on her breast sixth side a man with a very thoughtful face laying his hand upon the leaves of the capital seventh side a crowned lady with a rose in her hand eighth side a boy with a ball in his left hand and his right laid on his breast sixteenth capital it is decorated with eight large heads partly intended to be grotesque 
and very coarse and bad except only that in the sixth side which is totally different from all the rest and looks like a portrait it is thin thoughtful and dignified thoroughly fine in every way it wears a cap surmounted by two winged lions and therefore i think selvatico must have inaccurately written the list given in the note for this head is certainly meant to express the superiority of the venetian character over that of other nations nothing is more remarkable in all early sculpture than its appreciation of the signs of dignity of character in the features and the way in which it can exalt the principal figure in any subject by a few touches seventeenth capital this has been so destroyed by the sea wind which sweeps at this point of the arcade round the angle of the palace that its inscriptions are no longer legible and great part of its figures are gone selvatico states them as follows solomon the wise christian the grammarian aristotle the logician tully the orator pythagoras the philosopher archimedes the mechanic orpheus the musician ptolemy the astronomer the fragments actually remaining are the following first side a figure with two books in a robe richly decorated with circles of roses inscribed salomon brackets sap ens second side a man with one book poring over it he has had a long stick or reed in his hand of inscription only the letters grammatic remain third side aristotle so inscribed he has a peaked double beard and a flat cap from under which his long hair falls down his back fourth side destroyed fifth side destroyed all but a board with three query counters on it sixth side a figure with compasses inscribed geomet blank blank seventh side nothing is left but a guitar with its handle wrought into a lion's head eighth side destroyed we have now arrived at the eighteenth capital the most interesting and beautiful of the palace it represents the planets and the sun and moon in those divisions of the zodiac known to astrologers as their houses and perhaps indicates by the position in which they are placed the period of the year at which this great cornerstone was laid the inscriptions above have been in quaint latin rhyme but are now decipherable only in fragments and that with the more difficulty because the rusty iron bar that binds the abacus has broken away in its expansion nearly all the upper portions of the stone and with them the signs of contraction which are of great importance i shall give the fragments of them that i could decipher first as the letters actually stand putting those of which i am doubtful in brackets with a note of interrogation and then as i would read them it should be premised that in modern astrology the houses of the planets are thus arranged the house of the sun is leo the house of the moon is cancer the house of mars aries and scorpio the house of venus taurus and libra the house of mercury gemini and virgo the house of jupiter sagittarius and pisces the house of saturn capricorn the house of herschel aquarius the herschel planet being of course unknown to the old astrologers we have only the other six planetary powers together with the sun and aquarius is assigned to saturn as his house i could not find capricorn at all but this sign may have been broken away as the whole capital is grievously defaced the eighth side of the capital which the herschel planet would now have occupied bears a sculpture of the creation of man it is the most conspicuous side the one set diagonally across the angle or the eighth in our usual mode of reading the capitals from which i shall not depart the first side then or that towards the sea has aquarius as the house of saturn represented as a seated figure beautifully draped 
pouring a stream of water out of an amphora over the leaves of the capital. His inscription is Et Saturni Domus in brackets Ecloserunt query one S seven B R E. Second side, Jupiter in his houses Sagittarius and Pisces, represented throned with an upper dress disposed in radiating folds about his neck and hanging down upon his breast, ornamented by small pendant trefoiled studs or bosses. He wears the drooping bonnet and long gloves, but the folds about the neck, shot forth to express the rays of the star, are the most remarkable characteristic of the figure. He raises his sceptre in his left hand over Sagittarius, represented as the centaur Chiron, and holds two tunnies in his right. Something rough like a third fish has been broken away below them, the more easily because this part of the group is entirely undercut, and the two fish glitter in the light, relieved on the deep gloom below the leaves. The inscription is Inde Jovi Dona Pisces Simul At Cirona, or Inde Jovis Dona Pisces Simul At Cirona. Domus is, I suppose, to be understood before Jovis. Then the house of Jupiter gives, or governs, uh, the fishes and Chiron. Third side. Mars in his houses Aries and Scorpio. Represented as a very ugly knight in chainmail, seated sideways on the ram, whose horns are broken away, and having a large scorpion in his left hand, whose tail is broken also, to the infinite injury of the group, for it seems to have curled across to the angle leaf and formed a bright line of light, like the fish in the hand of Jupiter. The knight carries a shield, on which fire and water are sculptured, and bears a banner upon his lance with the word Deferosum, which puzzled me for some time. It should be read, I believe, De Ferro Sum, which would be good Venetian Latin for I am of iron. Fourth side, the sun in his house Leo, represented under the figure of Apollo, sitting on the lion with rays shooting from his head and the world in his hand. The inscription, Tu es domus solis, uh, quo query Sidney Leone. I believe the first phrase is Tunc est domus solis but there is a letter gone after the quo, and I have no idea what case of signum signe stands for. Fifth side. Venus in her houses Taurus and Libra. The most beautiful figure of the series. She sits upon the bull, who is deep in the dewlap and better cut than most of the animals, holding a mirror in her right hand and the scales in her left. Her breast is very nobly and tenderly indicated under the folds of her drapery, which is exquisitely studied in its fall. What is left of the inscription runs Libra cum tauro domus blank 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 purior au blank. Sixth side, Mercury represented as wearing a pendant cap and holding a book. He is supported by three children in reclining attitudes representing his houses Gemini and Virgo. But I cannot understand the inscription, though more than usually legible. Occupat erigone stibons geminu culacone. Seventh side, the moon in her house Cancer. This sculpture, which is turned towards the Piazzetta, is the most picturesque of the series. The moon is represented as a woman in a boat upon the sea, who raises the crescent in her right hand, and with her left draws a crab out of the waves up the boat's side. The moon was, I believe, represented in Egyptian sculptures as in a boat, but I rather think the Venetian was not aware of this, and that he meant to express the peculiar sweetness of the moonlight at Venice as seen across the lagoons. Whether this was intended by putting the planet in the boat may be questionable, 
but assuredly the idea was meant to be conveyed by the dress of the figure for all the draperies of the other figures on this capital as well as on the rest of the façade are disposed in severe but full folds showing little of the forms beneath them but the moon's drapery ripples down to her feet so as exactly to suggest the trembling of the moonlight on the waves this beautiful idea is highly characteristic of the thoughtfulness of the early sculptors five hundred men may be now found who could have cut the drapery as such far better for one who would have disposed its folds with this intention the inscription is lune cancer domo t pibet iobe signoru eighth side god creating man represented as a throned figure with a glory round the head laying his left hand on the head of a naked youth and sustaining him with his right hand the inscription puzzled me for a long time but except the lost r and m of form arbit and a letter quite undefaced but to me unintelligible before the word eva in the shape of a figure of seven i have safely ascertained the rest delimo desada deco staffo blank blank avid seven eva or de limo dominus adam de costa for rm in brackets avit evam from the dust the lord made adam and from the rib eve i imagine the whole of this capital therefore the principal one of the old palace to have been intended to signify first the formation of the planets for the service of man upon the earth secondly the entire subjection of the fates and fortune of man to the will of god as determined from the time when the earth and stars were made and in fact written in the volume of the stars themselves thus interpreted the doctrines of judicial astrology were not only consistent with but an aid to the most spiritual and humble christianity in the workmanship and grouping of its foliage this capital is on the whole the finest i know in europe the sculptor has put his whole strength into it i trust that it will appear among the other venetian casts lately taken for the crystal palace but if not i have myself cast all its figures and two of its leaves and i intend to give drawings of them on a large scale in my folio work nineteenth capital this is of course the second counting from the sea on the piazzetta side of the palace calling that of the fig tree angle the first it is the most important capital as a piece of evidence in point of dates in the whole palace great pains have been taken with it and in some portion of the accompanying furniture or ornaments of each of its figures a small piece of coloured marble has been inlaid with peculiar significance for the capital represents the arts of sculpture and architecture and the inlaying of the coloured stones which are far too small to be effective at a distance and are found in this one capital only of the whole series is merely an expression of the architect's feeling of the essential importance of this art of inlaying and of the value of colour generally in his own art first side saint simplicius so inscribed a figure working with a pointed chisel on a small oblong block of green serpentine about four inches long by one wide inlaid in the capital the chisel is of course in the left hand but the right is held up open with the palm outwards second side a crowned figure carving the image of a child on a small statue with a ground of red marble the sculptured figure is highly finished and is in type of head much like the ham or japheth at the vine angle inscription effaced third side an old man uncrowned but with curling hair at work on a small column with its capital complete and a little shaft of dark red marble spotted with paler red the capital is precisely of the form of that found in the palace of the tiepolos and the other thirteenth-century work of venice this one figure would be quite enough without any other evidence whatever 
to determine the date of this flank of the ducal palace as not later at all events than the first half of the fourteenth century its inscription is broken away all but discipulo fourth side a crowned figure but the object on which it has been working is broken away and all the inscription except saint e n saint enas fifth side a man with a turban and a sharp chisel at work on a kind of panel or niche the back of which is of red marble sixth side a crowned figure with hammer and chisel employed on a little range of windows of the fifth order having roses set instead of orbicular ornaments between the spandrels with a rich cornice and a band of marble inserted above this sculpture assures us of the date of the fifth order window which it shows to have been universal in the early fourteenth century there were also five arches in the block on which the sculpture is working marking the frequency of the number five in the window groups of the time seventh side a figure at work on a pilaster with lombardic thirteenth-century capital for account of the series of forms in venetian capitals see the final appendix of the next volume the shaft of dark red spotted marble eighth side a figure with a rich open crown working on a delicate recumbent statue the head of which is laid on a pillow covered with a rich checker pattern the whole supported on a block of dark red marble inscription broken away all but st sim simicus two blank blank annus there appear therefore altogether to have been five saints two of them popes if simplicius is the pope of that name three in front two on the fourth and sixth sides alternating with the three uncrowned workmen in the manual labour of sculpture i did not therefore insult our present architects in saying above that they ought to work in the mason's yard with their men it would be difficult to find a more interesting expression of the devotional spirit in which all great work was undertaken at this time twentieth capital it is adorned with heads of animals and is the finest of the whole series in the broad massiveness of its effect so simply characteristic indeed of the grandeur of style in the entire building that i chose it for the first plate in my folio work in spite of the sternness of its plan however it is wrought with great care in surface detail and the ornamental value of the minute chasing obtained by the delicate plumage of the birds and the clustered bees on the honeycomb in the bear's mouth opposed to the strong simplicity of its general form cannot be too much admired there were also more grace life and variety in the sprays of foliage on each side of it and under the heads than in any other capital of the series though the earliness of the workmanship is marked by considerable hardness and coldness in the larger heads a northern gothic workman better acquainted with bears and wolves than it was possible to become in st mark's place would have put far more life into these heads but he could not have composed them more skilfully first side a lion with a stag's haunch in his mouth those readers who have the folio plate should observe the peculiar way in which the ear is cut into the shape of a ring jagged or furrowed on the edge an archaic mode of treatment peculiar in the ducal palace to the lion's heads of the fourteenth century the moment we reach the renaissance work the lion's ears are smooth inscribed simply leo second side a wolf with a dead bird in his mouth its body wonderfully true in expression of the passiveness of death the feathers are each wrought with a central quill and radiating filaments inscribed lupus third side a fox not at all like one with a dead cock in his mouth its comb and pendant neck admirably designed so as to fall across the great angle leaf of the capital its tail hanging down on the other side its long straight feathers exquisitely cut 
inscribed v-u-l-p perhaps i-s vulpis fourth side entirely broken away fifth side aper well tusked with a head of maize in his mouth at least i suppose it to be maize though shaped like a pine cone sixth side chanis with a bone very ill cut and a bald-headed species of dog with ugly flap ears seventh side muscipulus with a rat query in his mouth eighth side ursus with a honeycomb covered with large bees twenty-first capital represents the principal inferior professions first side an old man with his brow deeply wrinkled and very expressive features beating in a kind of mortar with a hammer inscribed lapicida sum second side i believe a goldsmith he is striking a small flat bowl or patera on a pointed anvil with a light hammer the inscription is gone third side a shoemaker with a shoe in his hand and an instrument for cutting leather suspended beside him inscription undecipherable fourth side much broken a carpenter planing a beam resting on two horizontal logs inscribed carpentarius sum fifth side a figure shoveling fruit into a tub the latter very carefully carved from what appears to have been an excellent piece of cooperage two thin laths cross each other over the top of it the inscription now lost was according to selvatico mensurator query sixth side a man with a large hoe breaking the ground which lies in irregular furrows and clods before him now undecipherable but according to selvatico agricola seventh side a man in a pendant cap writing on a large scroll which falls over his knee inscribed notarius sum eighth side a man forging a sword or scythe blade he wears a large skull cap beats with a large hammer on a solid anvil and is inscribed faber sum twenty-second capital the ages of man and the influence of the planets on human life first side the moon governing infancy for four years according to selvatico i have no note of this side having i suppose been prevented from raising the ladder against it by some fruit stall or other impediment in the regular course of my examination and then forgotten to return to it second side a child with a tablet and an alphabet inscribed on it the legend above is mercurio dnt puericio pan x or mercurius dominator pueritiae per annos x at selvatico reads vii mercury governs boyhood for ten or seven years third side an older youth with another tablet but broken inscribed adolescentiae blank 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 p an vii selvatico misses this side altogether as i did the first so that the lost planet is irrecoverable as the inscription is now defaced note the o for e in adolescentia so also we constantly find u for o showing together with much other incontestable evidence of the same kind how full and deep the old pronunciation of latin always remained and how ridiculous our english mincing of the vowels would have sounded to a roman ear fourth side a youth with a hawk on his fist juventuti dnt sol p an xix the sun governs youth for nineteen years fifth side a man sitting helmed with a sword over his shoulder inscribed senectuti dint mars p an xv mars governs manhood for fifteen years sixth side a very graceful and serene figure in the pendant cap reading 
senicie dint jupiter p an xii jupiter governs age for twelve years seventh side an old man in a skull-cap praying decrepite dnti satan ucus ad motem saturnus usque ad mortem saturn governs decrepitude until death eighth side the dead body lying on a mattress ultima es mors pena peccati last comes death the penalty of sin end of chapter eight part five